Hello and welcome back to the Wedding Capture Co podcast, a podcast for photographers and videographers. Today's episode is quite a long one. Tom and I have a chat, a general mid-season catch-up, and we go super in-depth into all the cameras that we've used over the years, and it does get a little bit geeky. Also, Tom's A7 III, which we spoke about in the last episode, has finally kicked the bucket, so we find out what new camera he's upgraded to. Enjoy the episode. All right, so let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. It's it, it feels like it's been a while. It's been probably a month since we've it last had a chat, month, but it? we were just saying like a lot has happened. It's now beginning of September, so it's been the whole of August, which is probably one of your busiest months, right? And yeah. for me, it's sort of quietened down a little bit, but it's still been really busy. To be and fair, though, for how insane your July was, I'm not sure that you could have made your August any busier. <laughs> I couldn't have done it. No, no, no. It's taken me a month to recover. I'll tell you that. Like obviously, we've chatted about it before, but on the last uh, after the last pod. I just had a bit of a moment where like that it really really hit me like the whole backlog situation and just being like constantly on the go and that was because it was the end of July where I had all of those weddings piled in and it took me a couple of weeks to recover from that and then I came down for cold and it's taken a couple of weeks to recover from that and so this week is the first week where I've sort of felt a little bit myself yeah. sort of thing but don't you think yeah. well, the cold's probably a result of that feeling run down and feeling you know, yeah, once probably, you kind of have yeah. that initial kind of like release or realize that no, I'm not. I'm not superhero. Yeah, I can't down. carry yeah. on. And yeah. I had it like I'd say August was a busy month for me, and I finished August um, not shooting weddings, but I shot um, the three days of a music festival as part of a media crew that I do every year. And other years, I've kind of sailed through that with weddings, you know, either before or after, and kind of felt oh, I'm a little bit tired, but okay. But this year, it killed me. Like I shot a wedding on the Thursday, and then doing those sort of you know like three, fourteen, fifteen hour days in a row, yeah. I literally had a moment where I almost fell asleep at my desk while I was calling the wedding. <laughs> I woke up, and yeah. my finger. Was still on the right key <laughs> and the wedding was at the end and it was here in the buffer because I got to the end of the photo but realised that I probably the last photo that I actually tagged was somewhere in the middle of the ceremony wow, so yeah. I'd obviously fallen asleep long enough with my finger that's on really the keyboard that I'd, and only, only woke up due to something so and that's like it's kind of good because we did an episode on burnout just before that and then we literally both hit that phase <laughs> yeah. at the same time I feel like I've got to like on editing days I've done the more smashed out the morning and been like all good and then I'll have sort of lunch I'll get back at like at sort of one two and be editing again but by three I'll be comatose on the on the sofa just like dead because I'm like I haven't given myself the days off yeah because I'm you know you're doing weddings at the weekend and then editing during the week like you expect to have a day somewhere in there but you just don't you just power through and I think it's something that I'm not sure that we covered in the last episode as well it's, it's yeah, there was definitely a part about being kind to yourself and being realistic yeah. but I think it's really you know we both said this is you know our partners or ourselves have said you know when we've had these moments I just need like a day or some time off yeah but when you you can't, I sit on the sofa and or the first thing my mind goes to is I've got twelve weddings to edit, weddings <laughs> yeah. to edit. Like what am I doing? How, and I'm, I'm sat here watching that, like, and you feel guilty for having that break. But the reality is you're going to fall asleep at your desk if you don't. Yeah. But you still feel that any little bit that you can do is you know you you're still turning up, up and making that solid effort to kind of to service people the way that you, that you want to. Sometimes it's not the case. You literally do need to take like yeah. a whole day to re, like recharge the battery to hundred percent, not just like another ten percent and then get back to it sort of thing. For sure. But yeah, you went to Malta as well. Since I did then. as well. Yeah, that seems like it was much longer ago than since we last spoke but yeah I did my first ever destination wedding um, in Malta and yeah inc incredible I had kind of not same, same mixed feelings is probably the wrong term to use I was really excited to go but I think in the same way that maybe in those early days when you shoot your first few weddings yeah. you know and you kind of feel really nervous you feel sick you check your gear about 20 times like you run through the list like far more than you did I did all of that stuff like that reminded me of when I started day, yeah. and in, in the lead up to and the days probably before like getting out there and stuff I was 
really, really nervous and really kind of stressed. Luckily, I had my wife with me to kind of talk me down and rationalise me that yeah. remind me which end of my camera to look in and know that it will be okay. <laughs> it's really um, different though, isn't it? Because when you're at home, you can check your stuff, but you know, like, if you do happen to forget an SD card, there are ways around it. Like, yeah. there'll be places near a venue you can go to to grab something. And also, I was, you know. I was in Malta, which is definitely, like, far from uncivilised, but we were at kind of the north of the island where I think the nearest camera shops were in the, the two big towns. So it would have been, like, a 45-minute yeah. round trip to go somewhere to buy anything ca- remotely camera-related. If I was yeah. missing a battery or, yeah, needed an SD card more than that I could buy in, like, the local petrol station. So, like, yeah, like a 16 class 3. Yeah. So, yeah, but once I got there... And kind of, we stayed in the same hotel as the couple and a lot of the guests. So by the time that I'd been there two days, by the time we shot the wedding, um, I'd kind of seen a lot of the guests about. The family that I shot were really, really lovely as well. Um, and so, yeah, the, the whole experience was really, really positive. I definitely get the appeal now of having like a destination wedding, the idea of taking yeah. a small group of people away and kind of, yeah, the, the vibe is very, very different than people that have just driven 20 minutes down the road to go to their cousin's wedding or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we're definitely like open to be doing more in the future, I think. Yeah, that's good. I feel like a lot of English sort of wedding guests are just desperate to go home after after a while. Like, yeah. You know, as soon as the first dance is done, you see all the goodbyes happening. But like when if people have travelled that far to go to a wedding, I feel like people just enjoy it more. It's like, oh, we're here all day. We're staying at this hotel, so we might as well. And I think it. as well, the schedule in terms of it is I actually really enjoyed the later ceremony. Yeah, like, yeah. I was really worried how it would pan out, but to not go to bridal prep till like 2 p.m. Yeah. Because the ceremony wasn't until 5.30. 5.30. I thought would be really, really odd. Like I kind of would spend the morning like kind of not really know what to do to myself but because like all the boys went to the local pub to watch the football because they were like because it was on it was on the telly over there i kind of got up had breakfast like say like lazy morning had to shower again because it was so damn hot and someone got my yeah. gear like went and photographed them kind of watching some football and then back to bridal prep and then kind of the ceremony happened we came out of the church did kind of the usual like you know like drinks and groups and stuff and then it was like oh it's sunset yeah so like I moved my car that I had next to the church, drove the couple literally 10 minutes out to like some really cool like cliffs and this and that, like grabbed That's the cool. sunset by the water and the rocks. And then by the time that we got back, all the guests had walked back from the church, again, got changed because it was so hot. Yeah. And then kind of like the evening started from there. <clears throat> and it was really nice to kind of get to like the dinner and the speeches and stuff and have and that's it. That's where my mind was then. I knew that all my groups were done, my couples were done. All I had to do was literally document that bit there was no kind yeah. of I'll keep a lookout for the sun because we need to nip off and do this or do that and yeah I found that I got a lot more kind of absorbed into just like kind of just moments around the tables or particularly in the dancing in the evening because there was there was no other agenda or nothing else on your mind you could be a lot more kind of in the moment with it that's a good point you sort of you you eliminate the fluff so yeah. that you can get the really important bits done and then you can be what you are which is you capture moments exactly like that, sort of documentary yeah. photographer right so and you can't really necessarily you can do that but you can't focus you can only put 80 percent of your attention into documentary photography if you're thinking oh i haven't photographed these group shots yet i'm still yeah. worrying about that like half of your mind's still on that but i suppose if you get that done now you can just sort of relax and enjoy like and take photos of people just like in their natural way yeah and i think also because people do travel out for it like we said at the beginning, the vibe is different. Yeah. Like people were very much like, I've traveled, you know, like three hours on a plane or whatever to be here for this moment. Yeah. Although that a lot of them are there for the days before and some people that some of the days after, that was still very much the reason that they had gone on that trip. Yeah. So kind of everyone is super tuned in and even people that didn't know each other were much more kind of receptive to kind of wanting to hang out and make friends and, oh, where have you come from? Oh, what have you doing? How long are you here? Like there was natural conversation about,
about you know yeah. but then kind of get into that point it's all the best that, people the people that have made the effort and because they've made the effort they want to enjoy it and make 100% of it so yeah and I think like yeah. you, you said with the schedule it's kind of all the fluff is kind of gone yeah. it's very much like these are the core events let's make these happen in this time people and the same people hanging around for ages and the same with the guest list I think that they're the people that mm. didn't really value going to that day with that couple didn't spend their money on the flights and the accommodation yeah. or whatever so the people there are you know the best of their best friends and their real closest family and so everyone was kind of much more tuned into it. there was no one that was there as a plus one to be polite if, yeah. if you like and I think that really makes kind of the quality of those candidates and kind of just the, 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 the whole vibe of the wedding just a lot better yeah <clears throat> excuse me yeah so was it worth it do you, would you do it again yeah definitely I, yeah. I would definitely do it I think again I'd have to make sure it, you take it on a basis by basis I think for me yeah. having going out a couple of days before I definitely needed that to kind of settle into yeah. the area and kind of be able to do some kind of just get some just kind of scouting and like, I don't think I could be with these people that fly out on the morning of the wedding and that, that I just yeah, don't think I feel like my the whole, nervous system could do that the destination life of you know I've got such a busy weekend I've been flying to Italy and on Thursday and then on Friday I'm flying to Greece and it's like that to me maybe it's just envy but that doesn't really sound fun really like that sounds just a bit like uh, I mean I, may, I imagine these weddings are amazing but that seems, sounds like yeah. so much stress and like thing for the same amount of money and like you're not actually enjoying it while you're out there I think like you I would take destination I don't, I don't know if this is what you said but I would take destination weddings if there was an opportunity for me to go stay yes. somewhere new and, or also and, I think I, I wouldn't want to do that many that I lost sight of that well, do you know what I mean like, is, even yeah. in this country doing a volume of weddings that we've done you'd be lying that when you go to a venue for maybe the 20th time ever, you don't see it in that same kind of excitement that yeah. you do the first time. But I still feel very grateful to be there and I always use that challenge to try and find things where I think that if I, you know, was at Lake Como five times in a summer, yeah, that kind of magic of it would be lost in the end of, oh, I've got to jump on a plane, I've got to do this. So to kind of maybe, if I was to do, you know, look to more destination work in the future, I would definitely be open to it, but I would cap that a lot more heavily than I do oh, yeah, my numbers sure. in the UK. Yeah. Like again, maybe like, you know, two or three a year. Tops. So let's have a few to break it up. But like you say, like you want to enjoy it, you want to make the most of it and you have to be conscious about the money that you're losing by taking those days either side sort exactly of thing that. as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, you've been filming weddings in the sun. Meanwhile, in August, it's been, <laughs> it's been. I feel like I missed the rainiest weekend been, here nah, as well. It's what, been what so rubbish. Like, I don't know. Uh, we looked through our weddings for the year. I don't know if we've talked about the rain. On, I'm sure we've talked about the rain on the podcast so much this year. It's a British um, podcast again. Yeah, yeah. It, it has to happen. And also, this summer has been atrocious as I well. Know. Oh, we've had fifty percent of our weddings this year rained. Wow, that's just like uh, unbelievable to think about. And like, we don't want to show so I think we've spoken about this off the pod is we don't want to show just loads of rainy stuff on our yeah. feed because it A it doesn't sell and B it just like rain is sort of generally associated with like a bit drab and dreary and stuff yeah. and so we don't want to post a load of rainy weddings so it's become really hard to like focus on specific things to to grab for your insta but not only that it's become hard to be like to rock up to a wedding and get yourself motivated I spoke to a photographer on Saturday who you know he lo absolutely loves his job but he says like this year there's been some times where he's been sat in his car it's like hammering it down with rain at the venue and he's like he's, he's had to be like right come on you need to yeah. do this and get it done because realistically we'll tell couples oh yeah it doesn't, doesn't matter all that much but like getting the motivation to be creative when everything is limiting you to yeah. very specific ways of being creative is so hard and also as well you're trying to pull your own kind of enthusiasm levels up to go yeah. in there and impart that onto a couple but 
you know, for them, it's their, their one and only day. And I'd like to think that they've got that ability to go, yes, this is our day for better or worse. We are going to make the most of it. But it's the guests as well. Yeah. Like, I was at a wedding yesterday and, and the weather would luckily was glorious. And to kind of have that evening buzz of people having their like their cocktails out on the lawn and the sun's going down and it was really kind of like, there, there is a natural buzz around it where everyone's yeah. just kind of peering out the window at a beautiful set of grounds that they can't enjoy because it's hammering it down. Or even a move from the ceremony space to the, to the dinner space requires yeah. umbrellas and coats overheads and stuff there's only so many of those moments that you can document for the couple before again it's not it's not feel good and whilst hopefully everyone who's getting engaged this summer is looking at has been well aware of the weather again it still doesn't sell does it it's you know oh look at this amazing venue that i've taken through a misty window because it's raining (laughs) you're not out in it and enjoying it exactly it's a whole different vibe like you say of the of the guests as well yeah i feel like this year I don't know. I've seen a meme recently, like the the whole. Um, it was like 2020. There's a picture of so, a picture of something, and it said 2020. Can't wait to get back dancing, and then like 2023, and it's just empty dance floor. <laughs> and it's like I feel like this year has been sort of a bit of that. Not. I'm not saying every wedding's been dead. What I'm saying is like the rain. I really think feel like brings people down. Just bring that mood down. Yeah, it brings sure. the mood down a yeah. bit. And people haven't got the money to spend you know eight pounds on a cider or something at a venues and I, I can really see that it's been the weddings that have supplied their own alcohol have been like really good vibe but don't you think that maybe i can't speak for myself is that social norms have changed dramatically like pre-covid me and my wife particularly we used to eat out in restaurants or maybe even just pop to the pub a lot more than yeah. we do now and some of that was we got max who's behaving himself at the moment obviously i don't want to leave him as much as we did but again, it's cost. Like we looked at probably what we used to spend in a month on just eating out, yeah. and the price rises of that afterwards. Now it's kind of like, well, can we afford to probably yeah, go to exactly. restaurants a couple times a week? And you probably can't. No. And so I think that is reflected in weddings. People might go and nurse that beer a little bit longer if yeah. they are paying for it, or if you know drink prices going up. It's not that is reflected. Yeah, hundred percent. And I just wanted to say, like a wedding, we were talking about unicorn weddings a few episodes ago, and yeah. it actually it's ended up being quite a popular episode of ours. Um, I had pretty much what I would consider to be our unicorn wedding uh, on paper <laughs> um, this month, last month. And I think it's changed my opinion on what a unicorn wedding should be or like the ideal wedding should be because it rained and yeah. it completely, everything that we thought was going to be good ended up just being really difficult. So everything that was going to make it a unicorn wedding was hinged on sunshine yeah pretty yeah pretty much it was an it was a mainly outdoor wedding and you know it was so to 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 clarify like i said in that episode i think that like it was having things to entertain the guests lots of stuff going on that obviously like the couple be it obviously like the things that you touched on as well like the couple being like your kind of couple the guests being like really receptive towards things all that matters a lot but I feel like in order to make the kind of video that we make like having some sort of like entertainment whether it's a magician or or a singing waiters or a bounce castle or something like that is um is always like really welcome to have yeah. that kind of energy I think today, we, we spoke about this at length haven't we, between photo and film is that sometimes things that are quite static can come across quite well in you know, even like candidates, for example, if two people are sitting there chatting and laughing, that can make an okay still. Yeah. But you need that kind of activity of like, say, people like throwing a ball or say watching yeah. magic or something like that translates so much better in video and those activities. Yeah, it's like really like bring that together. And stuff is quite yeah. nice to be fair. But yeah, this couple had it all. They're the, they're an incredible couple. Like we had a chat with them and we were just like, can we film your day? It's going to be amazing. You know, they had um, a whole crazy golf set up, bouncy castle, seeing waiters, the whole lot. But then it hammered it down with rain and it was windy for the whole day. 
So it ended up being like the bounce castle didn't even go up. The outdoor ceremony got moved inside and the indoor area was just a bit like flat, to be honest. It was an outdoor venue sort of yeah. thing, basically. Um, and I feel like until sort of the until the party kicked off where you could tell people were really looking forward to that because like at the end of the beginning of the day had been a bit like wet until then it was a bit like oh all of this stuff that they could have done outside and it ended up being like everyone was sort of people were actually sort of going to sit in the wedding breakfast room before it was ready because they were just cold isn't it yeah you just sort of know and like that that sort of switched things around for me i was like you know what like there's been there's been wedding, I don't know, this year it's just been so difficult when it comes to like focusing on outdoors that you kind of think you can't put all your hopes on that. And what made it in the end was that they had a really good party. They'd paid for us extra to stay longer, which I'm so glad they did because that changed the whole game for, for us yeah. and like our perception of how this video is going to turn out and things like that. Um, we had a really cool dramatic sunset, which was amazing nice. as well. And like I say, the couple and the guests were like so nice as well. And, and that like, even though it was a rainy day, I come away from it thinking, do you know what? I'm, I'm really happy yeah. with like how it went and how we got on with everyone and how, you know, even, like the photographer was great and we bounced off each other quite a lot and things like that. And I feel like some, some rainy weddings come away and think that was bloody difficult. How are we yeah. going to make like something out of that, that, that brings the energy and stuff? Cause like you say, everyone's inside in a dark hotel room, just drinking yeah. and just waiting for the rain. Even to more so when the couple have put so much into, like they've pinned so much of their expectation on these events. You know, if you've paid hundreds of pounds to these outdoor things that never getting used. Yeah. I think there's some of that adds to it. If you go to a wedding, it's just, oh, you're going to get given a glass of fizz and chat amongst yourself for two hours. Yeah. That's, you know, you're disappointed that you have to do that indoors rather than outdoors. But when you can see there's this amazing setup outside and all these things, you know, you could be doing you're backflips like, oh, on a bouncy no. castle yeah. or playing crazy golf, and you'll just say, watching out the window, that stuff get rained on. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that's probably even harder to not make you feel disappointed for what could have been. Like, if it's not there, you don't miss it. But when it's there in front of you, you just can't use it because it's wet. 100%. It's that's even, yeah. even more frustrating, I think. And I think that just basically to sum it up is... Uh, especially this year it's become increasingly obvious that the vibe is more important than all of that stuff even though it's quite nice to capture that stuff if it's all reliant on outside like if it rains and whatever it comes down to how how vibey are you with the couple and how, what are the guests like and things like that and I think like that tops and trumps everything and it's been sort of more evident this year because of the rain that's a good learning point, I think. That's a really good yeah. thing, which I think we've probably gone into another mild tangent of a different episode <laughs> entirely. But yeah. I guess there's probably, in, in the, to wrap up this, ca- this catch-up kind of bit before we get into the bones of today's episode, is another kind of... One, I'm going to say that we jinxed it in the last episode <laughs> and then something else happened, which has kind of led us to doing the episode that we did yeah. today. So after me, that they're kind of, you know, like flying the flag for my A7Threes and how bulletproof they are how and how that thing will never die and the rest of it, my camera broke. <laughs> to be honest, I would... It happened at the best possible time. If that's if there's a thing that that can happen, it wasn't when I was like tucked in the corner of a ceremony or this and that. I was in the middle of group photos, literally firing off some frames. I don't know. Pulled my camera down, wandered in the next group, picked my camera up, and there was a black thing dangling in on my screen. I could see this black bar moving, and the shutter literally broke. So I was like, I don't know what this is. This can't be good. Fired another frame, and then it went. And crunched, and then it came up with a camera error. And I was like, "This is definitely." Wait, you saw the black thing flying, but you still like, "Ah, this is." I thought, yeah. (laughs) Press the button; it might fix itself. You know, yeah, yeah. It was broke at that point anyway. Then I got the camera error, so literally took the lens off, and I could see one of the shutter blades literally just twisted. (laughs) 
and they're saying oh, hanging no. at the top of my camera. Um, so literally, and I don't know why, how, how I managed to remain so calm. Yeah. But literally, I mean, I've got bride and groom, like parents in front of me. And I was staring like, at you, I was like, I'm really sorry. I was like, but my camera's just broke. So I was like, can I just go and grab my spare one? And then we can like, give me like 30 seconds and yeah. we'll be okay. And the bride was surprised me. Oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah, just can go into that. The yeah. dad's face dropped. He was like, nothing's been lost, is it? Nothing's been lost. You've got, and he was really worried oh, okay, that by the yeah. shot falling out my camera, that obviously everything up to that point had gone. Yeah. So I was like, no, no, it's fine. I was like, literally, yeah, I guess you can understand the mechanism has just is. died. Yeah. So, and, but again, I think that's, you know, I, I said, you know, when I put this out on my stories is that I think the reason that I managed to remain so calm is because I knew that I had a spare body, exactly the same body with a battery in it, in my bag. So all I had to do was walk but then you shoot with two anyway. I shoot with two, but obviously well, I was on a 35 and an 85 though. Yeah. So apart from like dashing 50 yards behind me to then carry on that shot on an 85. Yeah. So I, literally, I, I was, oh, I have right. a third camera. Yeah. So literally a spare body, which sits in my bag yeah. with no lens on it, not being used. Yeah. So I literally went in, got the third camera out, stuck the 35 on that yeah. and just carried and on. You were good to go again. And I was good to go. Yeah. So literally within a minute, obviously if I was during the middle of speeches or during a ceremony, that might've been more difficult. I'd have had to just battle through, yeah. swap some lenses onto the second body that I had with me. But in this instance, I was literally able to just chuck the broken one in the camera bag, pick out a fresh shiny body. If anything, in a, in a way, like it's kind of, it's kind of good to look like that in front of your couple. It's yeah. kind of nice that they happened during group. If that happened like randomly and when no you're doing candidates, no yeah. one would have known. Um, but if that, because that happened during groups, they're like, oh, his camera's broke. He's got a backup one. Like yeah. it's, it's straight back on it. Like it's really professional. I think again, at that, that point, and even when I posted the story about it, I posted the picture of the kind of like destroyed shutter yeah. on my camera. My, my bride Liz actually messaged me and this is like two or three days after the wedding was like, I could not believe how calm and composed you were in that moment. She was like, if that was me at my work and something broke in that situation, she's like, I think kind of just burst into tears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, I think I almost surprised myself. I was very much, oh, my camera's broke. You're in the flow, aren't you? And, and I think like after having the conversation down, that we had was, in the last memory, yeah. that thing was on borrowed time. Yeah, yeah. Like that's like your granddad that's 108 do you know what I mean like you're sad that he's you know dead it's about to go, but it was inevitable let's <laughs> yeah. be honest so in kind of some ways it, it's, it's lived a far happier life than longer <laughs> life than it ever should have done yeah, um, yeah. and I did I did run a shot account on it after it died and it died at 283,000 clicks that's a lie isn't it which yeah. considering that I do some stuff in silent as well and they don't count because the mechanism doesn't go when that someone says to me that I thought it was rated for 200 but when I spoke to Josh about this he thought it was only 150 so if that's oh, right, the case, okay. it's pretty much lived a double life. Yeah. No, it's done really well. And I feel like, yeah, we did kind of jinx it. We did kind of jinx it. But again, was so it the last episode? We did. The it was literally the last episode that we were talking oh about those cameras and how old they were, but they were still doing, they were still doing well. So strange. And then it died, literally. <laughs> I think it was two went, oh no. So I must have been to Malta and that was even more lucky because I didn't take my spare to Malta because I was trying to carry, travel light. I literally yeah. took the two bodies I was shooting with. Wow. So, so then you were bought a new camera, which we'll talk about later. Yes. I feel like we should talk about that to, sort of towards the end, what, yeah. what you actually end up buying. So I bought yeah, so I bought one to replace the spare, so I still have a spare. And that comes at the end of today's thing where we're going to talk about our camera journeys. Yes, yeah. exactly. So we're going we're gonna to go through, it's a bit of a, more of a techie episode. We're probably going to get a little bit geeky with it. But yeah. I mean, last time we talked about... Um, the gear that we use sort of behind the scenes and editing stuff yeah. like monitors and stuff didn't we and that became I think it's one of our most popular episodes like second or third most popular yeah, episode and I'm hoping as well that there'll be a little bit of nostalgia in this as well like depending on how long you've been mm. doing this or how long you've been you've been owning SLRs and cameras to just see how our journeys mirror your journeys like maybe you've had some of the cameras that we also had and loved or hated them more than, than others so yeah it'd be really nice to see I think 
looking back at probably some of the cameras that we used and now I think, well, how did I make the images that I did with such yeah. such poor tech, really? And some of the frustrations as well that come from even stuff that's around now, yeah. for, at least for video, I think. Um, but you were only talking about something with your new camera, which again, we'll get into. But So starting from the beginning then, so I don't know where, where you started from, but I've started from basically the first wedding I filmed rather than before Okay, I've gone like a little bit before that, okay. but okay. yeah, so I... So you go go into that then, so, you know... Again, I think this is probably the point where you can realise by looking at us that I'm a little bit older than Chris. So um, when I started using, or first started doing camera, using cameras, I guess, you know, for college or university and stuff, it was still pretty much a pre-digital age. Most of the yeah. work that I did at university was all shot on, on 120 film, and we had a plethora of D70s in the cupboard and that was probably the pinnacle of the SLRs yeah. that were available for us to borrow from my uni's cupboard at the time um, and so I bought a Nikon D50 I think with my first student loan which I've looked on here was it came out yeah in 2000 and I think it came out in 2006 and I wow. bought it a bit later on I bought it from Curry's in West Key if you remember that that Curry's that used to be in there um, um, it used I to be in, in that main drag I... not far from where the Apple store is now so there used to be a big Curry's there oh. and I walked in there and I got a free SD card with it and a little bag to put it in and I was only moved it 10 years ago and so. I was made up so yeah again yeah. so that was longer than 10 years ago yeah. Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> um, so I bought that from there and that had a whopping 6.1 megapixels and came with the 18 to 55 like plastic lens with it yeah um, and at the time I was made up that I had my own super DSLR and, yeah. yeah yeah and then from there moved on to the D80 and then I shot my first wedding on the D90 which is probably yeah so about that journey begins and that D90. was D90 so is this Nikon Nikon D90 yeah so yeah. That's, that was the first SLR to do video was it it was the very first SLR that was like the 5D Mark IV or something was no so the, 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 D, the D90 was the first ever SLR to record video only filmed in 720p and you had to manually focus with it yeah but it did video Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I always thought it was the 5D because everyone goes on about how that was the game changer I think, for video. It, I think it, that it became usable at that point. Like you couldn't pan with it because you'd get the bouncy shutter. Oh, no stabilization. Um, there was no stabilization yeah. at all. So you could, there was very, very limited in what you could do. Yeah. But, but considering video. that there was a lot of point and shoots probably on the market at the time that were offering video and stills out of a yeah. little tiny box to get an SLR that you could put a 50 mil on and kind of do that kind of like, you know, even just like that kind yeah. of like fade in focus manually like, wow. at 720p for me as a, a third year student that probably never had done video it was like oh this is really cool like i felt like i had a real cutting edge piece of tech you yeah 100 percent. so I, I had originally before if we're getting into before weddings got a canon 1000d i think it was okay yeah and that was like really early days that was when i was like at school and i was like do you know what i quite like photography i want to get in like everyone does like, i want to get into photography um so then got the thousand d and I was taking some photos of it and I was like, right, I want to do some video now. And it didn't have a video mode. And I got really upset because it didn't have a video mode. But your phone at the time probably did, yeah. And the, 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 ca yeah, the camera true. didn't, yeah. The Sony the Ericsson K750 <laughs> thing, the little slidey camera out thing. Um, but yeah, so I was doing like, a lot of videos on my phone like with friends and stuff at the time. And I was like, oh, my camera doesn't have a video. It's really sad. So within like a couple of weeks, I'd returned or sold the 1000D and got a five Canon 550D, I think. Um, I think that was the next one I got. And I think that did video 720p in 50 frames, I was saying. It was, yeah. uh, and maybe 1080p in 25. Um, but so that was, that stayed with me for a long time. Um, had a little 50 mil with it. And I think it was a crop sensor. And at the time I had no idea, no idea like how to work a camera. So yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know what a crop sensor was. Put a 50 mil on it. I was like, whoa, this is like very close up sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I filmed my first wedding in 2015 with a 550D 
and like a, I think a rented like 6D from uni or something like that. Um, no idea what I was doing. Didn't mic anybody up for the speeches. Literally just used like an on-camera mic. It, it, again, like it's like you say, like you, you sort of think, how did I film a wedding? Yeah. And don't get me wrong, like the camera is capable, but the, I mean, to get slow, we had to go in 720p and pretty yeah. naff to start off with. But I think as well, you're looking at what, what was around at the time it wasn't yeah. only that we were really early in our careers and probably couldn't afford that kind of like pinnacle equipment but a lot of it just wasn't there yeah but you know at the time probably 1080p like on these like tvs for like movies i was like i come out in hd was probably only a fairly new thing at the time so for yeah. you to spend your few hundred pounds on your slr the film 720 you still felt that like you were probably holding your own it's a big it deal was, yeah exactly yeah yeah like, and I feel like, yeah, I, yeah, obviously that was okay to be fair. I don't really remember much about that camera. Like I said, the image quality wasn't the best, but it was what it was at the time. People were happy with it. But then I, I quickly sort of tried to upgrade to um, to something else. And I went Panasonic after that. Oh, okay, yeah. So um, I ended up getting a Panasonic GH3, potentially. I wasn't sure it was a three or the four, but I could not get on with it. And I'd, it was all it all manual focus, which I think was like kind of the norm at that time anyway. Or autofocus wasn't really incredible at the yeah. time. I don't know what it was for photo at that point, but um, mix limited. Yeah, you yeah. Definitely, I remember. So that probably what time would that been? Twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen. Okay, so yeah, that's probably around the cusp that I I I, I jumped from Nikon to Sony. So I was, I was using my okay. I was using my D seven fifties then. Yeah. Um, and Which yeah, and they they had, they had like, they yeah, I think on then at the time it was called like 3D tracking, but I still yeah. used to just use the continuous autofocus because I found the 3D tracking really kind of hit or miss. Yeah. Um. So I used to kind of just, yeah, use continuous focus. And I think at the time, those D750s, I think were probably, those or the 5Ds were pretty standard for wedding photographers across the board. If you were Nikon, you were using either probably an old D700 or the D750. Yeah. Um. Again, due to resolution because... The only other options were like the D800s, which were like 60 megapixels, which were far overkill. I remember a lot of photographers at the time were shooting that D750. I yeah, think. D750 I or all the 5D Mark III's, I yeah. think, were, were fairly standard yeah, for, yeah. for wedding. And I was using those. And I thought the autofocus was, was, was as good until I jumped to my first Sony and then realised how, how bad it was, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like Sony was like the tech, so advanced in tech, yeah. though, at the time, wasn't it? Like, it's like I mean, even up until recently, Nikon has been known as the potato for video. <laughs> yeah, and I think so and even even now, still I think it's true with the Nikon user. No, but I think it's true though. Yeah. I, I felt that like, I was a Nikon user from say I bought my first one in two thousand and six, and then finally only jumped to the Sony in twenty eighteen. So how long's that? Twelve years, and I'd had Nikon film SLRs before that. Yeah. Well, I felt Nikon film SLR before that. So I was Nikon for, say, like, what, like, like 12, 13 years. Yeah. But I think because it had the video functions and I probably used it in a very limited capacity, anybody that I knew that was doing anything video related were using the 5Ds. Yeah. 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 So if you wanted video, you would go for You Canon. would have gone down the Canon yeah. route because yeah. they seem to, again, actually want to make efforts to make improvements to their film. Yeah. You know, the, the, the film functions on the camera. I feel like Nikon really stagnated in that market. And even now, probably, I don't follow the Nikon market too closely anymore, but I still don't, I'll, I still wouldn't know many people that are actively do video, you know, who prioritize video that yeah. have a Nikon setup. No, I do. I can agree with that. I do think, to be fair, so than the Z, Z9 and the Z, Z8, I'd actually say Z because yeah. I watch so many videos, <laughs> yeah. I guess. But so Z9 and Z8, um, I think are very good for video. But like you say, because 
video users for so long have been buying Sony or recent, more recently been yeah. buying Canon. I think I feel like um, it's not even in the sort of visuals at the moment of oh I really want to get into video what should I get no one's saying get a Z9 I don't yeah. think at this point but it is perfectly capable and I, I think, think it's probably also worth saying at this point as well is that it, we're talking about our camera journeys here as well that we're only pretty much touching on camera bodies here as well like not the lenses that we've picked up yes. a- along the way because that would be I think an entirely other conversation <laughs> about the, len- the lens journeys yeah. that we've been on and maybe we should add that to the list for a one because I the way that I started shooting weddings yeah. to the way that I shoot weddings now is really quite different so I wonder if we can add that to a, to the list for future down the line is yeah is kind of yeah not only the lens choices that we use now at wedding but our lens our lens journey as well as our camera journey i think i feel like we should because that could be very interesting especially for video for i know for both actually to be fair because i i sort of are really interested when i turn up to um weddings and see photographers and like seeing what they're shooting with generally it's a 35 85 combo like that's the probably 80 percent of photographers but recently i've seen photographers just moving back to 24 to 70 and being like just weird i think in the same way that we were talking there and we'll probably touch on it more in a little bit is that kind of seismic shift of you know the nick on people leaving those d750s behind and and the the canon users leaving behind the mark threes and the mark fours to move to mirrorless yeah is if you when i got into wedding photography for sure is that any wedding shooter you looked at had yeah, two dslrs 24 to 70 on one 70 to 200 on the other yeah. and that was everything you needed yeah. and we've really moved from kind of a That's you know a, a zoom market through kind of our you know primes are the only way and now particularly with that canon 28 to 70 f2 the game that, that i think it's gonna you're gonna see another shift with a lot of people go really stripping their kit down even more and going back to single body in that lens yeah i'd use that for a bit it's a heavy boy but i think if I was a, like mainly a photographer, you could get away with that. But the trade-off of carrying one heavy camera as opposed to two, two and keep not so, yeah, yeah exactly. just using You're one in the moment. Imagine how in the moment you could be if you use one camera and one lens. Like I feel that's the that's the ultimate goal. But talking about lens, with the Panasonic, Panasonic I, th- I feel like the reason I couldn't get on with it was because I didn't really understand at the time that it was partially lenses as well that was the issue. Because the Panasonic, if I'm wrong, is micro four thirds, right? It is micro. So for video. Yeah. You obviously have like lens, you know, kind of like yes, yeah, so you have to factors. double, you double the, yeah. the the thing, um, the millimeters and uh, the focal length, but also because it's micro third, it's not great in low light. Um, the the Panasonic cameras, especially then, did struggle in anything less than perfect light. To be quite honest with you, and it was really noticeable. But then I went and bought like cheap lenses for them as well. So I feel like I had like a nineteen mil something, um, and it just like even in focus, just looks so soft and. Like after like a year or so of using that, I was like, I cannot make this camera look good and I don't know why. And I feel like it come down to experience because generally Panasonic is known for having some of the best video in the market. Yeah. So it's clearly not it's clearly not that camera's fault. Um, and the lenses I was buying, I was just buying like cheap third party just to get going as cheap as I could because I bought what yeah. I considered to be a really expensive camera. And I felt looking back, that was probably the reason. But also knowing what I know now about autofocus and things having to manual focus whilst on like so pre-gimbal I was using the glide cam yeah the glide cam with the like weights the metal on the bottom the weights yeah. Oh, yeah, so you're trying things. to manual focus while on a glide <laughs> it just yeah it was it was rubbish but um, so yeah quickly upgraded from that so um, yeah and I never went back to Panasonic to be fair but they have struggled with like keeping up with autofocus and things like that for a while which has become like a staple of video I think so 
Yeah, I think the way that, again, they've struggled to kind of, yeah, find their place amongst the competition, I think yeah. it's probably fair to say. But like you were saying, with low light in that camera, I remember in those early days, particularly with that D90, going to my first wedding, and again, probably only having the standard 18 to 70 lens, which was, you know, its widest aperture, probably like a 3.5 to 5.6, depending yeah. on who you were, yeah. being in that church and knowing that that camera was no good at much anything above 400 ISO. Like between 100, 200, 400, it made some really nice files. Yeah. But if you started to push it to possibly 800, you might get away with. But once you got into four figures of, of ISO, it was pretty <laughs> damn unusable. It's amazing, isn't it? You kind of think, how was I shooting yeah in like that well, i remember even before that having my d80 which was the camera that i had probably during my, like, my second year of uni yeah and I, even the d90 i used to use that when i first started shooting mu music as well which is you know small venues and particularly in the dark is that d80 i used to just leave it because it had no auto iso or whatever i used to leave it at 200 okay yeah because it was no good at anything else and i would always so in that my, like my exposure triangle wasn't even a triangle it was just a, you might as well change the aperture of the or the shutter speed because yeah. the iso is not worth changing because it's so, so rubbish if it's too dark you just you use the long put a tripod out yeah <laughs> or just didn't use it yeah, yeah. just not not take the shot just be like, yeah i think well, at that time maybe i was doing probably a lot more kind of like street like documentaries in daylight yeah, yeah. or a lot of my other stuff before i kind of got into the music with the d80 particularly it was a lot of studio based stuff so you could always control the light you use bigger heads or you using that stuff and it was okay yeah but what particularly once i started to move into weddings or in play even more so into the live music that was probably the main catalyst for me moving from the d90 up to the next carnations of the, uh, the D7000 and then after that the 7100 oh, and they right, were okay. kind of at like yeah. the top of the top of the kind of the crop bodies that you could have before going full frame yeah yeah and I used those through yeah I think as I've written on here that I bought my first I've, I finally went full frame in 2015 so the year that I started yeah. my business was the year that I upgraded to full frame cameras but before that I'd probably done 80, 90 maybe even 100 weddings yeah. only using those kind of crop and probably only single memory card cameras yeah, yeah. as well, which now I look back and that's terrifying. Yeah, that's the thing. I think uh, like the dual memory card thing has become so common now in cameras that, and, and like most of us have got it. So when we look at cameras that don't have it, like Sony have just released a couple of really good cameras that would be great for video. They, they only have one card. Just the new carnation to the C. I like justify, yeah, yeah, the C, A7C cameras, yeah. And it's just like, I want this, but I cannot justify using it for weddings because I just would hate myself if something went wrong. And, and I think it. sometimes it's really easy for us to kind of be quite tunnel visioned in our market is to, you know, if these cameras come out and all the other specs are there to go, well, this would be a great wedding camera, is we only think that, you know, like, I know like hundreds or like you see thousands of wedding photographers. So you think, well, that must be a big portion of their market. Mm. But it's obviously not in the grand scheme yeah, of all yeah. photographers. There's, for us, that's a non-negotiable. Where for other people, it's just, a, eh, it'd be nice to have. Yeah, exactly. I feel like with memory cards these days, you'd get away with doing it for a corporate shoot or something where you could just do a quick retake. Yeah. It's, you know, it's only one SD card. It's, I mean, it's not often or ever that the whole SD card breaks and you can't get anything off it. With Sony, yeah. it's generally because there's this little error. I don't know if you get this a photo, but there's an error that comes up with writing and it sort of like doesn't yes. write properly. To do with like you a data, data, yeah, you have to rebuild error. the database and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is funny because again, talking about how times change, I remember kind of chatting to other wedding photographers as I was coming in, shooting those kind of single memory card cameras. And someone really saying to me then, like, you know, they were starting to bring out these bigger and bigger memory cards that you're yeah. starting to think, well, I probably could shoot a whole wedding on those cards without changing card and someone said to me oh no no stick to the four gig cards you know more or less so you would be changing card five yeah. and six times a day yeah. but also in kind of that reassurance that if anything did happen to the card you'd only lost 
say 20% of the day if yeah, you shot exactly. across five cards yeah. so it was better to, rather than going by 164 gig card that you could shoot a whole wedding on yeah. if you shoot that on you know say eight gig cards and you shoot it on four or five of those you might only yeah. lose prep if you lose a card or only lose a ceremony and so yeah. it now sounds like dramatic but you know you're working on a law of averages that your, yeah. your camera that you had only had the ability to record to one card one day you're going to thank yourself so that, that was yeah. the way of doing it is that you would never lose everything yeah. you still have something to deliver to the couple at the end but it's funny because we were talking uh, me and Josh were talking about this the other day and I was like I can't buy this camera because it's got one SD card side and he was like funny enough mine's got two but when it when it failed it failed on both cards and I was like <clears throat> that's typical isn't it it's got both card slots for backup but if it fails something mostly it failed most yeah. of the time it fails on both, both. cards anyway so uh, but I sometimes use it for like backup if I'm like you know um, if I've got like two shoots in a row sometimes it's nice just to pull one card out and only have to format the other one and then you can back up the other one while you're because yeah, particularly and this is something which I never again it's kind of different things do different <clears throat> things it's like with my Nikons if I took a card out of my D750 even yeah. though it was set to simultaneously shoot I could still carry on shooting on that camera. So the D750s they had? They had two slots, yes. Yeah. So okay. when I went up to the D750, that was a real big step for me. I remember getting okay. that in 2015 and kind of being, well, okay, now like I'm, I'm properly in business now. Like I've registered my business. Yeah, yeah. I've gone, I'm kind of, you know, shooting enough weddings now that I need to do this. And I brought my first D750. So that was two card slots and it was full frame. And almost again, realizing like I'd taken a step back when I put my 35mm or my 50mm lens on that, which I've been using on my D7100, obviously yeah. at a crop factor, it was effectively a 75mm. Yep. So putting it on the 50 and it was a true 50. If you're like, oh, wow. I literally this went and bought an 85 because yeah. I needed to because that's, yeah, yeah. that's the focal length I was used to and I wanted that 1.8. But yeah. And almost the low light benefits of going full frame and just the quality difference. I remember going and shooting the first wedding that I shot and it was in the cathedral and then it was this and that and just coming home and I've never been a massive like pixel peeper, but just getting them up on my IMAX screen and being like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like it's full frame. Like it's so the detail that I can get out of this camera compared to my old one. And yeah. I'm like kind of having that like bubbling with the world of possibility that now I've kind of, like I felt like a proper professional. Do you know what I mean? Like before yeah, the then, frame, yeah. like all the cameras that I've had, they had labeled them like enthusiast or prosumer or whatever yeah. and I kind of really felt that I'd arrived that you know like I'm actually like I'm like a You're registered photographer I've actually got a full frame camera <laughs> and yeah. all the people that probably you know in those early days I'd go to weddings and the uncle or the granddad would have better kit than me yeah. and they're looking at you going you're the hired guy and he stood there with his like D4 or whatever yeah or the, yeah, the, the gear yeah. and I was they literally there with probably like my 70 to 300 with my <laughs> zoom because yeah. it was like the cheapest zoom that you could buy and stuff you've always got to start somewhere and the fact that you start that with that and make your way up I feel like um, going on a little bit of a tangent when people say um you know, I'm starting off in this, what camera should I get? I completely disagree with the whole, oh, start with something small and work your way up because I think that, I don't know, actually you might have spoken about this before, but I think that you, all you're doing then is putting unnecessary limitations on yourself. Yeah. If you can afford something better, get something mid to high range to start off with so you're not limited by like certain factors. Yeah. Like for Sony, for example, if you go cheaper, you're going to be either getting crop sensor or you're going to be getting something without stabilize, actual proper sensor stabilization yeah. or something like that. And like, you're going to pick up that camera and realize actually it's a lot harder than I thought. Whereas if you go somewhere mid range, then you, it's going to have most of the things you'll need. 
and there's nothing that like really that you haven't got that the pros have got so you can sort of like you work with no limitations in the camera I mean, so yeah you, you see if you if you know less and then you're giving yourself a camera which is compromising you you're not giving yourself to just succeed to An the best ability yeah. but at the same time you need to be aware of kind of your budget at that time as well yeah. like, i know you know probably the few hundred pounds i was charging for those weddings yeah yeah. you know trying to budget, then yeah. you know i'm probably was plowing most of that you know when i before i went full-time plowing most of the money that i earn back into buying new kit or you know finally getting a better website than the free ad addy one yeah. you know, one adverts on that I had before or or that type of thing but someone else said to me yeah really then it's buy the best camera that you can afford but get rid of the kit lens as quickly as you can yeah and, 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 and that as well like, you can have yeah. the best camera in the world but if you're still using that like plastic lensed yeah. like rubbery you know like horrible kit lens that only stops down to you know f5.6 at 70 mil again you're really capping you're pushing the camera so hard because you're not letting it like you know go and buy a 50 mil 1.8 and i did and that 50 mil i think cost me 60 70 quid they were so cheap weren't they for SLRs, and they were so cheap yeah. and that 1.8 and they were good and i remember shooting probably you know the bulks of most of those early weddings on it for the yeah. fact that even though the iso was so trash even though i opened it right up to f2 almost having that like blurry background you know it, sells, made, it, it made just, you look yeah. professional yeah, it, does, it, yeah. you know it really felt that that separated you from what people were taking on their phone to their point of shoot you look like a professional with it it meant that my iso didn't have to go as high as it was and i probably shot loads at super wide open and yeah. some of it was probably questionably in focus <laughs> because it was shot at 1.8 on an slr which autofocus wasn't great yeah but it still had that look enough that it it looked professional, you know. Or that's like my fifty one point four that I was telling you about, and I was like, <laughs> I got the fifty one point four. I started shooting everything at one point four, and I realised I probably should do that. But it's nice to have the option yeah. sometimes. But I've probably spent a year, or probably a good season. I say a good season that year is probably only eight or ten weddings. Yeah. But doing most of it on that, yeah, on that fifty mil. Yeah, and it does make a difference. Like, yeah, like you say, get rid of the kit lens as soon as possible. In fact. If you are saying, oh, what, you know, what camera should I start with? Potentially think about what lens you should start with first. Well, yeah. Pick a system that you want to get into and buy a good lens for it because you need to get rid of that Sony 28 to 70 or whatever it is you get with it straight away. Yeah, the one that. you ever buy in, yeah, you buy the kind of the bundle, don't you? And it comes with the it lens. It comes with the lens, So yeah. you can use it out of the box. But and it's such a rubbish lens. Like, don't get me wrong, like for we're kind of sport in this day and age, so it's yeah. a good lens. But when you compare it to something that you'd actually buy, like there's not a kit lens it's, it's a whole world of difference in sharpness and you know and it's not until you use one of those other lenses that you realise how bad the lens that you had yeah, was yeah. as well like yeah. you're looking at it going it's in focus oh that's sharp and then when you see the something that comes out of even say what's a relatively inexpensive prime yeah. and you're like oh wow like that's damn sharp yeah, like that's yeah. so much different like, I feel like for video you can kind of get away with it because there's a there's there's an there's definitely an over sharpness in video like you can feel like maybe something's a bit too clinical Whereas in, I think I feel like in photo you want to be able to zoom in and see every little crisp bit of hair in yeah. focus. With video, I feel like it's actually better if it's a tiny bit softer, just so that you get that sort of it's a more cinematic look sort of thing. It's a I bit, think yeah, as well. I I probably look back on some of my maybe earlier work with a little bit of fondness of that because I had yeah. um and I've still got them. I use them for my film camera over there. When I first went full frame, I found then all the details amazing. But sometimes, particularly in direct light, it was quite unflattering. Yeah. And I had this, I bought an, an, an 85 mil from the 90s and it had like an aperture ring on it still. It had a metal hood as well, yeah. which was like the best thing. So you could bash it on doors and stuff and it wouldn't break. <laughs> um, but that was, once you got once you got anything below 2.8, the, the focus on it was so janky. Yeah. Like, is it in, is it out? I don't know. <laughs> but sometimes it's a portrait lens. That did some, that had some really cool, like a real magic some about it. 
it. Yeah. That when I first moved over to the Sony, and the first lens I had for my Sony was the 55-1.8, which I think is still possibly the sharpest lens I've ever used. Mm. I was almost like dialing stuff back down. That is because it wasn't yeah. flattering. Again, there was you needed yeah. that kind of like soft kind of yeah cinematic, you know, like yeah. Vaseline on the lens kind of style. Need to be look. literally yeah. perfectly crisp, does it all the time? Especially when you're looking at faces and things like that. Sometimes people want a little bit soft. I'm not sure I want to see my face no, in a like, crisp focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Sixty-one megapixels. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had um, the first time I ever shot in 4K. I did the whole wedding in 4K, and I actually had a bride go can. Can you not like? Can you remove all of the close-ups because it's far too detailed? Details. And it's like, oh, okay, fair enough. And I didn't shoot in 4K for a while after that, but obviously, then it became a thing. But but yeah, so uh, that 55 1.8, by the way, is literally the sharpest thing. It's crazy. And uh, but I don't think it has more or less any character. And I'll say this about most Sony lenses: I don't think they have any, really any character at all. If you say the word, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even mean know what that, character yeah. means. But like, you look at it and you think this is shot with a professional yeah. digital camera. And I think sometimes people people put too much, going back to, again, I don't want to kind of leech too much from that future lens episode, yeah. but some people put so much into the camera sometimes and, and yeah, colour science and stuff like that does play a part in it. But I think and there's a lot of the reason that people, a lot of photographers that I know still cling to those Sigma Art lenses yeah. over the native lenses is because they say, oh, again, the character that a lens can bring and how much different the colours can look or the feel of something can look yeah. by the brand of lens that you use. And I think that sometimes like is, really, is really underestimated. Yeah. yeah, the Zeiss has like some sort of pop to it, doesn't it? And you yeah, can see sure. that in photos, I think. Um, but yeah, so the next couple of cameras are actually like, were hold a good memory for me. Like, I feel like looking back at these cameras we've spoken about so far, I'm kind of thinking, oh, I'm so glad I got rid of them <laughs> when I did sort of thing. But I, the, from the Panasonic, I went to Sony a7S II. Okay. Um, and this at the time was considered like, I would say the best uh, mirrorless camera, sort of small mirrorless camera for video because it had such good low light like it was yeah, incredible that S, that's, kind of, that, that's where kind of yeah people had seen low light quality in low light photo, photo and video like no other yeah like it was almost like it gave you the ability to shoot in pretty much dark at it what the time dark, would seem like yeah. you, oh, there's no noise it there? was incredible going yeah. from like the panasonic to the a7s2 and it was full frame like all of the resolutions were in full frame you could film in 4k um, and i bought the 51.8 for that which um is an okay lens to start off with but um, and having that A7S II, having the low light capability and having that 51.8 was just a great combo, being able to shoot in low light. The only thing that re it really lacked was autofocus. Um, so there was really, no autofocus on it. it. I think it was contrast to text, which is just a bit not, like it, you yeah. can really use it's that dark as well. There's not a lot of contrast going on as yeah, well. Yeah, if, if people weren't moving, um, then it'd be then the autofocus works fine. Like you use focus and then go. But for like moving shots and going in and out between people, if you did that, then it just, or like as a couple coming towards you, it just, it would be a little bit hunty, I think. Um, so I don't think I'd use the autofocus a lot on that. But like that just felt like another level of upgrade. Going to full frame, like you yeah. said, made you feel a bit more professional. Something about the Sony system and the way, like, like I think it was just so much more advanced for video in terms of its tech at the time. I think that was the first time that the Sony cameras really came onto my radar when that I remember seeing the advert for that yeah. when it came out because obviously at that time I was still shooting weddings but I was still heavily involved in shooting music so obviously I used to take a lot of note of what was possible in low light a lot more because oh, yeah, of shooting yeah, the camera and even as they move into full frame you used to have a lot more detail in your shadows when you were shooting particularly in some of those but it was smaller more poorly lit yeah. venues and I think that was probably one of the only reasons I didn't look at it more 
more as a stills cameras because I was using the D750s by then that were that lovely sweet spot of 24 megapixels and full frame, which yeah. I still think is the best thing. So this is 2018 now, Armand. Are you are you still shooting the? So that yeah. So same, and yeah. I was I was still shooting. So I got my first D750 in 2015 and shot that for a year, I think, alongside. So that was the first time I had two cameras as well. Yeah. So I was then shooting the full frame camera and the crop camera, and then I think about yeah about after a year so that would have been 2016 then i then bought the second d750 yeah and shot those for two years yeah until so until i until i went sony in 2018 2018 oh yeah because that must have been the 873 okay so it must have been 2017 i got the yeah because that arrived yeah the a73 arrived in like the april or may didn't it of 2018 yeah and the yeah. a73 i'm not afraid it changed the game like let's be honest like oh yeah for photo and video i think it just made everybody go wow sony's it like, was disruptive if you look at things that, that really kind of throw a market there was that it, it was forcing people that again that had been diehard with with other brands particularly the canon nikon for the first time to really take notice and go yeah there is you know that kind of and there, and there always has been that kind of snobbery or, or kind of brand or two or you shoot with the yellow brand or i shoot with the red one or yeah. whatever that kind of that their kit was a bit better and i think to a degree like when the five these came out that was a leg up on that and then nikon fought back and they were always kind of edging each other a little bit yeah but i think to for someone to really come along and really say make a, a big statement and cause a lot of people that had been invested in certain systems for a long time to go no this camera is where it is worth me ditching all my old kit and reinvesting in a new brand yeah. that was the camera just for that this did camera that. yeah I, I noticed like working with photographers a lot that like that was the camera where people people started to go oh um I, you know i've been shooting with these canon whatever cameras for a yeah. while do you think it's time for me to go mirrorless on the a7 III? and like i couldn't recommend it more but so many people were buying those a7 threes and then every wedding they rocked up to there'd be someone with it who just got an a7 III and it's i like, remember getting my eyes so I, I went to um uh, as I do every year, I went to, um, it was called Farm Shop then, so Photography Farms Conference event yeah. um, in Brighton in 2018. And um, back then, so the Sony guys used to come along and have a small stand. And I remember everyone saying, oh, they're going to be bringing the new A7 III with them. It's not quite out yet, but they're going to have a couple on the stand that you can look at. Yeah. And I kind of heard this rumble from photographers, this was the way to go. A couple of other people I know who had invested in earlier Sonys and were kind of going, you know, kind of championing that's where it was to go. Yeah. And I was very happy with my D750s. There was a couple of little bits to say, like the autofocus, particularly during fast movie moments like confetti and things yeah. like that, it was starting to hunt. But for the most part, I was still getting good usable photos out of them. The low light was good. Yeah. So I was, I was pretty happy and I wasn't, I wasn't particularly looking for a new camera. Um, but I remember getting through the first half of that conference day and everyone going to lunch and I, for some reason, bought my lunch on the way in. So I kind of didn't really need to wander out. The Sony stand was empty. So I just thought, oh, I've got an hour. I'll, I'll go and have a look. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm being open to being yeah not being to, 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 yeah not kind of being yeah. so stuck in my you know i'm not looking at anything unless it's a nikon type yeah. thing went over um chatted to james um there at sony who had the camera wandered around the uh, inside space there and instantly kind of smaller lighter and the eye autofocus for me but now yeah. to have that button and have it on him and literally jog backwards just, and it hold that focus. For me, I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah. And literally it was like, this is the Disneyland of cameras. <laughs> like I've arrived. Like if, if I can have this at a wedding, all those bits where say you're, you've got confetti coming everywhere, a couple charging towards you, you get six frames and then hunts in the middle. And then yeah. by the time they get there, they're, they're back in focus again, they're too close. So you've got a couple of years. Or the cameras hit the buffer on your cards yeah. to be able to shoot as many raw files as that could without it stopping and the autofocus 
I was like, okay, maybe I do need to look at this camera and give it some serious thought. Yeah, I still think to this day for uh, photography, I still think out of every Sony camera, I'd recommend the A7 III. Um, because I don't, th- uh, for wedding photography, yeah. even specifically because of like the 24 megapixel, I think that's like the sweet spot. And- but I think if you look back kind of over like, you know, fairly recent history still, and you're saying you look at cameras which kind of will, I think if you look back over history, we'll say made real, real changes to not only the wedding industry, but camera industry Yeah, is in terms of digital, I think you'll look at the 5D Mark II. Yeah. Again, that's made yeah. a lot of people when, when Canon brought out that full frame camera, again, it had some fairly good video capabilities for stills that was unparalleled, I think at the time, that was one of those cameras that lots of people flocked to mm-hmm. and stuck with. The next camera to make that kind of disrupt in the market was the Sony yeah. A7 III for sure. Definitely. I think, I feel like they've learned from their mistake there because they put everything in that one camera. Mm-hmm. And since then, they've very much segmented all their characters, to, uh, sorry, all their yeah. cameras to either photo or video. And yeah. there hasn't been one since the A7 III that does both perfectly. And at the time, I think the A7 III did both. I mean, as well as but, any but, of the others. As well yeah. as any of the others, yeah. So with video-wise, with the a7 III, it was pretty much an a7S II, but with really good autofocus. Like the autofocus was, was another level. it took level. forever for the, for the, I'm sure you're going to talk about it because you own one, we're filming this on it now. But for me, the S3 took a long time to arrive it afterwards. Did. I don't think they even had like, any plan for it. A lot of other cameras, you know, came out in the meantime with fairly minimal upgrades yeah. on what was in the a7 III. But all a lot, and I know a lot of video shooters that were still plugging away on those S2s going, because I, I, you know, I predominantly shoot such low light that I still need to cling to this. And I'm, you know, I just yeah. need the features from the A7 III with that chip yep, from the S2. Exactly. I think they released the A7R4 before they even released the A7S. I, I believe that's true. Yeah. Because I tried that out and I was like, no, I just can't do it because high megapixels, low light was a bit not as good sort of thing. But it took yeah it took them a long while to get to that point and i think like there was a sort of thing in the in the video community like this unicorn camera this a7s3 yeah. that was going to be like the whole new level of video and it, it just never surfaced and people were just sort of starting to lose hope in sony video wise yeah and, and started like to jump back to you know when, yeah, like, yeah. when like, the, 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 the r started coming out for canon i know a few people were kind of like almost gave up hope on that a7s3 ever arriving and started yeah. to go back towards yeah, you know, the Canon direction. If Canon had released the R5 and R6 a little earlier, I think they would have dominated the market, but it actually ended up happening at the same time. I feel the same with, with Nikon, though. Again, I was at that point when I got the A7 III where, say, I was quite happy with my D750s, yeah. but I think if Nikon had have dropped a Nikon version of the A7 III, something which was full frame, two card slot, because you remember the first Ed that came out was single card slot, had a bunch of issues and which stuff. Was that? The original was it that was that the Z6? Z6? Z6, I think. Yeah, the Is that original. Any single card I like? think that the, the, the first one that came out because they when they bring out a Z6 Mark II afterwards. Yeah. But I know what well, I can't remember exactly what it is, and I probably should have looked it up. But that very first Z that came out to so their kind of entry into the into the, yeah. the full frame market, that and the original Canon R, or was it the RF? EOS R. Yeah, the EOS R. Again, yeah. but again, single card slot, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So I think it came out and that was their kind of them dipping their toe in the water to the mirrorless market. And if they'd again maybe have dropped something which seemed to be even 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 some sort of competition to the A7 III at the time, yeah. they either would have kept a lot of more people that were that were more hesitant to move to Sony. Well, that was at a time where Canon and Nikon were like, oh, I'm not sure about this whole mirrorless thing, yeah. wasn't it? And like and photographers were pretty much the same. Like videographers were like fully in, but photographers yeah. are, a lot of stuff is like, oh, not sure about mirrorless. But again, I still know people that are still rocking the Mark IVs yeah. now. Yeah, and that's because it's only been 
realistically for a lot of people it's only small changes photo wise yeah. isn't it between these cameras like as you start upgrading so and it becomes a case of sometimes you'll even lose something that you you like yeah. and that brings me actually quite nicely onto so with the a7 threes amazing i had two of them one on a 24 and one on a 50 and because of the crop mode um for the photographers that don't know with um with video if you go into crop mode as long as it's 24 megapixels or something or more maybe 20 you, you don't lose any quality in 4k so you can still shoot a 4k yeah, and it's exactly the same like quality you there might there's now some different like things in terms of downscaling from 7k sensors and yada yada but yeah. essentially in photo if you if you use crop mode you miss out on megapixels in video it's pretty much going to be Neg- that's so good said, if you're using yeah. prime lenses as well then you're almost effectively carrying four lenses with you you've got four focal lengths yeah exactly two cameras exactly. with that's no compromising quality so I'd have two cameras on me all day 24 which could turn into a 35 and a 55 that turned into essentially an 85 that's the best still to this day the best combo I've ever had like versatility yeah. wise it was so easy and I could just switch them on the gimbal quite easily and it was it was really nice. But then, yeah, in 2020, that unicorn camera finally came out once COVID, yeah. <laughs> once COVID hit. They brought out the A7S III. And again, like for video, it was another huge step forward. Do you like, feel it was worth the wait? Yeah, yeah. I think it was worth the wait. Yeah, yeah. It was it was more than I think most people were expecting. Because I feel like what, the one thing that was missing is that 1080p was quite soft. 4K was lovely on the A7S III's. But you couldn't shoot slow mo in 4K, so anything more than yes. 25 frames, you couldn't shoot 50 frames per second. In, yeah, because you could do 120 on the on the 1080, couldn't you? So yeah. four times slow mo, but you couldn't do yeah, m- yeah exactly. much more than the standard. And then yeah. they bought out the A7S III, and uh, everyone would all everyone wanted was just 4K at 50 frames per second. They smashed it out of the park. They went 4K at 100 frames per second, so now you can slow everything in 4K down by four times. Um, and they also added 10 bit, which is something that I did, hadn't wasn't really on my radar. It was kind of on the radar, but not so much. I didn't really know if I needed it or whatever. Yeah. And 10-bit then basically increases the bit rate of the footage. This is, again, for photographers who might not know. Oh, so I, I have no idea yeah. about it, because I will talk about it when I bought my new camera in a minute. That has 10-bit right now, yeah, but yeah, I still yeah. have no idea yeah. what it does. Yeah, so essentially the a7 III filmed in 8-bit. So if you were to shoot in log footage, which is essentially a really, really flat image, yeah. if you went to grade that, you'd start to get banded in the sky, specifically at sunsets and times. So it's almost like shooting a raw-style file if you're a photographer. Like so having that, is you, yeah, you've you got some latitude to adjust in it. So for reference, I think, so 8-bit is essentially like so we were basically filming in jpeg yes the, the yeah. whole time yeah and we couldn't edit the colors so much as like a little bit so we'd, ed- we'd edit them a tiny bit but we'd have to shoot in very very slightly flat so you could then bring it into but if you tried to shoot in log which is really flat then you'd start to introduce banding and like little artifacts and things like that 10 bit um increases the colors by millions i don't even know the number but it's millions basically so now we can shoot super flat get incredible dynamic range and grade it pretty much as much as you want. I've never managed to ruin a 10-bit file, like raising the shadows lower. Which is insane. You know, when we spoke about like shooting the evening before and I've said, you know, about other photographers in the past going, oh, they not they want to go out early in the sun yeah. because they can't, you know, when I used to go, oh, I can shoot underneath the sky and pull the shadows up on the people. Yeah. That's, that was much more difficult in video. You had was, to get, you yeah. had to kind of nail the exposure in camera. Sunsets were kind of like just white sky with like a nice yeah. lit couple before, but now like you can literally get everything. Uh, I think raw, I think photo raw, I'm not sure if this is factually correct, but it's 16 bit. So we're still well off. Okay. But, it's, still but well you're still halfway there or marginally yeah, yeah. nearer than you were before. With- and it still feels like we've got everything we need i wouldn't say like we yeah. need anything more than 10 bit as such in, in fact sometimes 10 bits a bit like oh 
Do we really need this amount of color? But I guess it goes back to that argument in that we had, you know, earlier in the episode that you're saying, with, if you're starting out in in yeah. in the in the world though, and you were to able to buy a 10 bit camera, that's a lot more forgiving of your exposure mistakes. Yeah, because, than you shooting on yeah. a cheaper camera and going, oh, I've got this bargain of a camera, but you need to have the experience to know how to nail that exposure. Where if you could just go, oh, I'm going to buy a big memory card to shoot everything in 10 bit and I'll fix it later. Yeah, even that might take you a longer in time when you're starting out in the industry, you can still kind of level up quicker because you're able to make better work even though 100%, it's, like, it's like the equivalent of me going oh I need to photoshop everything and probably spent a lot longer in post in those early days yeah. correcting my mistakes if I just moved that glass out of the back of the group photos rather right. than have to photoshop out of every single one that I'll just save time come in, yeah. yeah in handy but yeah that's, the 10 bit has definitely changed a lot of things the 4k has changed a lot of things like I now shoot everything as soon as I got the a7s3 uh, I started filming everything in 4k the clients didn't necessarily want it. I'm not saying like 4K, you had to do it. But yeah. for me, I could notice a huge difference and I wanted to utilize that difference. So I ended up getting two A7S3s and yeah, they are so good. Again, we're still filming with it now. It came out in 2020. There's really been nothing else that matches it in terms of video on the Sony side, at least. Yeah, I thought it was Sony now. They've started to bring out the other cameras. Hey, we've had a new R since then. We had the R5 and then obviously the A7 Mark IV oh, yeah, the A7R5, yeah. came out yeah. as well and obviously the new seeds which is so the A7R5 for video it shoots 8K but as soon as you go into 4K at 50 frames a second there's a crop okay. and then with the A7 IV it's an APS-C crop so it's a 1.5 times crop if you want so to you're losing your lenses again yeah. so if you're going to buy a video camera for Sony the A7S III or the FX3 which is so the FX3 is basically a repackaged A7S III inside of a cinema camera body so it's got more like mounting points that you can okay. attach things to so if you're going to build a rig out of it and use something kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. You, you shoot that way rather than you know like you still shoot with like a hold fast and a more kind of slr approach on a gimbal yeah board, exactly so it's, it's yeah. just packaged in there um but also better stabilization so i'm like i'm talking about myself a lot on this these, yeah. these cameras a lot but i feel like for video it's just come leaps and bounds every single camera i feel like in, in with photography though and we've said this in previous episodes probably when we were talking about my my camera okay. yeah. um, the, you know <laughs> when that a7 III arrives i still think even again so when i bought those those two d750s in 2015 which is almost 10 years ago now yeah. they had that 24 megapixel full frame sensor yeah which for me i still think is everything that you ever need as a wedding photographer yeah to try and fathom shooting a wedding on an r5 at 60 or 70 megapixels yeah. is absolutely insane yeah. i don't think anybody would ever utilize the quality or the the need for the the scale of that sensor so we've had i still think everything that you need in a still sensor for 10 years yes it's 100%. just those af improvements those speed improvements or getting added video features in yeah. which have really made my life easier rather than real kind of leaps and bounds in kind of you know quality of image yeah. i guess that you know, the cameras have got slightly better in low light but even still i think if i shot if i got a d750 now and was on the dance floor and that 3200 iso i'd still be quite happy with the files that it pulled yeah i think if you put two for two photographers next to each other one who really knows what they're doing with a d750 and and one who knows what they're doing with an a7 III and in, in good light you're both going to get the same shot yeah. it's just one of them might be slightly harder quality of life wise yeah. to get that right Exactly. Um, I, I, I do agree that so it's so I think really quality of life in terms of tech but also because video is cut or the demand for video has come such a long way yeah. in those 10 years yeah the camera companies or the cameras that we use have had to level up to to meet that yeah so yeah the stabilization they've they introduced active stabilization which is 1.1 times crop but it's just so much better in terms of like being able to handheld i wouldn't dream of mostly handholding that handholding the a7 III. you can do it but for video but it's a little bit like every micro shake you're gonna see sort of thing um, with the A7S, 
it's great. And if you're using Sony first party lenses, it's even better, which is something they don't actually tell you. If you're using their own lenses, for some reason, the stabilization is so much better than if you're using third party. And Sony never have never even sort of said this really. Um, even the ones without sort of optical stabilization built in. So yeah, it's, it's kind so of crazy. any Sony branded lens, not yeah. just the G Masters, if you're using like the 1.8s and stuff as well, it'll yeah. still. Like I, if you go from like a, 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 a 50 mil made by like Tamron or- Yeah, or like the Sigma like, Art or Sigma, whatever, which a lot of yeah, people use, yeah. To a Sony 50 mil, you'd notice a difference in stabilization immediately. Like this is something that me and Josh have been like, it's blew our mind. Like we, we met up at the pub once and we was like, he was like, try this. Like, it's so weird. Like I tried it and I was like, oh my God. So much for your own testing. You've, you've realized that makes yeah, such yeah. a big difference. So now like in a, in a pinch and I've only just found this out recently, really in a pinch, if I have not got time to set up the gimbal after a ceremony, which, which often happens like during celebrant stuff, yeah. I can grab my 35, put up my A7S3 in active stabe and walk backwards. And, and it'll like, hold up. Okay. It's pretty much perfect. Yeah. Um, I have to really concentrate and then do like the, yeah. the, the walk and everything um, and then if you apply a touch of stabilisation it's literally like doing it on the gimbal I'd still probably try and use gimbal where I can but like having that flexibility sometimes be like do you know what I'm just going to do this confetti shot handheld but I think that's inspiring isn't it is that you know we're, we're sat here now in 2023 talking about these cameras yeah and you know we, we're looking back over probably the last 10-12 years of cameras you know you look from where where stuff was then that you know where we're going to go in future as to where we are yeah those things it's highly possible that you know we're you're going to laugh about gimbals in the same way that yeah. if you sh- showed uh, someone who so. got into wind in the last two yeah. or three years a glide cam they'll like it you know, what, what, what's this a hammer <laughs> like you know what's this with dang weights on the bottom yeah yeah the, the stabilization will get that good that you could literally just wander back yeah exactly ha- held yeah. on a camera and the, and the, and the I think it's coming in, Panasonic's in pretty much there I think a lot of Panasonic users are, are yeah. mostly handheld because their stabilization is insane but um, but yeah that was A7S3 and I feel like since then they've introduced a lot of features which we want but it's not worth buying the new cameras that they're putting in those features for so enough again again that's probably something before we well we're, we're almost an hour and ten in now so we're probably to wrap this at episode, some point yeah, yeah. is that you know all the things that we've said with at the beginning we were buying the best that we could afford against yeah. what the best that was out there and now as working professionals you do have that ability to probably afford the kit if you want it mm-hmm. but you've still got to make that rational decision that let's be honest switching systems isn't cheap no and i know that when i when i switched from nikon over to to sony that was an a, a, a graduated change i bought that first a7 III with the 55 and shot that along for almost a year alongside my D750 on the 2470. And it wasn't until then, kind of the end of that season, that I was like using the two bodies yeah, to become yeah. in. Or I find that I'm shooting more and more on the one camera that I have got. Yeah. It's now time to replace that. It's but hard I to couldn't do that have, upgrade one at a time, isn't it? it I really couldn't is. have gone out and gone, there's my Nikon kit, get rid of it yeah. and buy all new. I wasn't in a financial position to afford that. It's tough. And even now, for you to turn around and say, for someone that uses two and three cameras to sell those at used price and go and buy three new out of the box latest techs it would cost you thousands yeah and yeah in the way that you've exactly. said another basis it's knowing how much your, your clients know that or is it going to add you know that much money to your packages that you can afford to do it so yeah. we're saying hey, you know telling you what we use and, and have used you know the kind of to, to, to upgrade but we're definitely not saying that you need to go out and buy you know spend thousands and thousands it's the latest thing it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's making a calculated risk as to taking okay that's got enough of the new features which is going to make my life x amount easier or save me this much time that it is worth 
that upgrade. And the great thing is that these cameras, these manufacturers, especially in the mirrorless age, are starting to put the really professional stuff in some of the cheaper cameras yeah. as well. Like the A7C2 that's just been released, apart from the dual SD card slots, which if you're just starting up, you're not going to notice anyway, I don't think. That is a very capable 10-bit 4K in slow-mo. Like it's, it's more than I've had until like very until the A7S3 yeah. came out, basically, three years ago. And it's two grand. And, and even like with the so A7 III... Yeah. But that's not marketed as a pro camera. If no. you probably took a, a cross-section of the wedding industry in 2019, there was a lot of people using it. And how many people in that, in that industry actually probably went A9, which at the time was their mm -hmm. flagship camera. Or even yeah. now, how many of them are using the A1? I think uh, I've seven seen and a half grand of Aussie. You know, if I was to have three of those, yeah. I'm, I could pretty much buy a brand new car yeah. for the money that, yeah, that I would have yeah. in, in those three bodies alone. So, you know, we're, like I say, even... I, using the a7 III that's still only you know at the very bottom or kind of in that halfway between you yeah. know kind of good enthusiast and low yeah, level you've got like the a1 and things like that yeah. as well um but then so yeah recently then your your camera broke yeah so my a7 III is a RIP. it died <laughs> um and so i was forced you know kind of in the middle of a season to buy another camera with pretty much only a few days to decide what to get, which as we yeah. spoke at another, that's, that's not normally me. I normally kind of ponder things for ages, like yeah. for every possible scenario every review and, and kind of do all that. And I had to make a decision and I was kind of left then with, there I either, the choice, I either I do think. go and buy another A7 III. Yeah. I'm very happy with them. I have been very happy with them, but I think there was still something playing in my mind is that again, that is still a nearly five year old camera mm -hmm. and other tech advances have come out since then that if I buy another one, or albeit the newest one that I can find that lasts me another three or four years is by the time I get to then it's going to be a 10 year old camera mm, so yeah. am I spending slightly less money now to need to upgrade sooner rather than later yeah. or do I buy a newer camera now with better tech and hopefully that will last me longer and so in the end I decided that that was what was going to rule me and if I bought the newer camera I would have to just learn to use it and I've got weddings that I can actively take it out on and the best way to learn with it is on the job. Yeah. And so in the end, I looked at buying an original A9 or maybe even an A9 Mark II um, because of you know various other things. Having the A9 II being able to shoot in silent a lot more because of the stack yeah, sensor would have been really, really handy, particularly when I've had some churches this year. That would have been really nice to be able to shoot completely silently without worrying about banding. Did you ever look at switching brands then? or did you No, just I think because I, I still had the other two A7 threes and the lenses were okay. Um, I didn't even look at maybe going back to Nikon because okay, yeah. um, I again would have to start reinvesting in lenses then and I wasn't yeah, in yeah. a position to buy maybe three new cameras plus lenses and stuff. Yeah. So in the end, I kind of, and I, I still think now probably quite hastily, I end up buying the a7 IV. So essentially the newer version of my a7 III. Yeah. And I've shot, since I've got that, I've shot two weddings of it and the festival with it. No, three weddings now and the festival. There are certain elements that I love. I always said, and I still stand by the fact that the 24 sensor is an absolute sweet spot. I do agree, yeah. But that 33 is nice. Okay. The files that I've been getting from it yeah. do feel, again, they're that slight level up. There's just a little bit more room. If you shoot something a little bit wide and you crop in, there's a little yeah. bit less notice Probably here in that three years time, you'll be like, yeah, 61 um, megabits is definitely <laughs> the sweet spot. Um, but the payoff of that, though, I'm still using the 170 megasecond black sand discs in it. Yeah. And the buffer topped out on me during my cafe on Saturday. 
yeah. at about 36 or 37 raw files mm-hmm. when my, my A7 III could go into the 50s without stopping. Because of the megapixels, isn't it? Because yeah. the megapixels yeah. is more right into the same card, yeah. obviously. So, but then again, I was looking at buying the even faster cards and then the, the price of those like quadruples from going from the 170 cards to the 300. So that was it. And I think for the most part, there's a couple of button placements which are nicer. The AF, the new tracking thing is, our, class, is absolutely insane. The fact that you can jet that to lock onto stuff and it moves with it, that I've been really, really enjoying. Um, but the main thing for me that I really don't like about it and is actually to the point that I would give it some serious thought is to look for another camera at the end of the year is the screen. Flip screen, yeah. Because I've gone from, if, if you know the A7 it's a tilt screen so you can pull it out or then pull it back where the A7 four screen is the one that you have to fold out to the side to tilt which I find that extra motion is really really is is isn't you lose a moment sometimes like yeah if i was shooting kind of a, what i call like a street style during candidates i know that i can pull a camera up a waist tight flip the screen out i must tuck it into my chest and wander around with it yeah it's quite incognito and it's very quick but to have to get that screen fold it out twist it around whole thing whole process yeah yeah or and also if i was switching cameras i would just drop my camera to its side on yeah. the tilt knowing yeah, that if yeah. it hits my body it'll just swish back in where I'm worried that'll just snap off and it's yeah. very obvious when you're in shooting mode like yes, when you're actually very, like very, in very obvious. or something and you flip out um, the screen and go to take the photo and I know since then the R5 has come up with kind of a hybrid of both doesn't it that it tilts mm. and flips if they could put that screen on that the camera yeah. that I just bought, I would That's be it. very very happy. Yeah. But everything else on the four, I'm happy with. I like having say that the now the exposure comp dial's got a lock on it. That's really handy. Or the fact that I could map it to something else in terms of how responsive it is and all the rest of it, really happy. But it's just that screen. That's the only thing which kind of almost makes me sad that I that it's not the A7 III. And I didn't, I didn't envy you making that decision at that time because I, as someone who's like proper into like all the cameras yeah. and things like that, I know that there's there's no like unicorn a7 three option right now yeah. for photographers i don't think because that flippy screen is just it's, it's just worse for photography yeah. it just is and then if you don't want that you've either got to get the a7 three or you've got to go up to the a7r5 yeah in which case you're shooting 60 and, and i must admit it did cross my mind in the end yeah because there's a way apparently which you can shoot the a7r5 in what they call a medium raw yeah which is a 22 megapixel raw okay. That was almost the other option. So I could almost shoot then only two megapixels less than what my A7Threes offer. Yeah. But still have that screen and the real track and real track and focus. Yeah. And all of that for a for a while or a few hours, I did consider it and look into that. Saying the fact then that the R5 costs almost twice as much. As the, as, as the normal Mark yeah. Four, that I'm like I'm actually going to spend nearly the right decision. Nearly best part of two grand to gain that. Is it worth it? Sony's definitely losing that that whole like. There's not one camera that does most things. I feel like at this point, yeah, because again, so the Mark Four now is came out in what 2021. Yeah. So maybe in the next year we might even see the A7 5 come along, and I'd like to see that be another kind of. I think they've done enough changes in other all rounder. Yeah, for sure. Like that flip screen. We want like videographers. Like I also got the A7 4 yeah. as, as a third camera. Um, better stabilization, like similar autofocus to the A7S3, but it has cropped 4K, yeah. which is a pain to deal with if you're trying to run two cameras at the same time. But it's nice as a third camera and nice for also the, the small amount of times I do photography as well. Yeah. But like that's you say, the payoff. If you use the S3s for stills, obviously at a 12 megapixel sensor, use, they're, they're, they're really feeling yeah, their age exactly. in terms of the quality of the yeah. size of file, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're just seeing limitations in that now, I think, in the A7 IV already. So. But I think in, in our industry as well, and this year, and we spoke about this at the start, is 
particularly photographers now wanting to offer more hybrid or that option of our taking a few clips and stuff and that's really coming in or even like other way i think that there is a, there is a need more than ever for something which is a really good all-rounder yeah it's not now that oh the videographers use the s's and the photographers use this especially with canon i think canon is doing things right because they've got all of their cameras are all-rounders but they start from cheap all-rounders to more expensive all-rounders the way yeah. i see it anyway like yes the r5 the r6 the r7 that i know a lot of people again both, have gone but... back or people that hung on to their canon their mark fours and mark threes yeah. five these a lot longer and now feeling pretty smug with their r6s yeah and no, that's not, exactly. not not always even the r6 mark two as well it's just that original mirrorless class camera like um and, and i'm hearing really good reports of people still using the native ef lenses on the oh, R's yeah. with their control rings with very little loss of quality or also yeah, focus yeah. speed and the rest of it. Definitely. So that becomes tempting whereas Sony is all like oh here's your video range here's your mm. photo range here's like the mid-end sort of range and it's like what are you doing here? And I think now people have done that jump one way like loyalty in 2023 is just less of a thing. Society yeah. are less loyal now. Yeah, yeah. I think if something was if there was that much of a reason to switch back brand people would do it more quickly now. Yeah, I think I sure. would. Like, yeah. you know, if you'd have asked me back in 2013, 2014, I'd have been, oh, Nikon for life, you know. <laughs> but yeah. having done that change to make a better camera, I learned the muscle memory on those cameras to move across so much quicker than I thought I was going to. Yeah. That if something came up, I think, and it was that much of a game changer, I would give it, it much more serious much, thought yeah. than I would have done in the past. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Well, I'm, I'm far too invested in lenses, but yeah, no, and that's the problem, isn't it? As a still yeah, shooter, yeah. really, I could go out buy a 35 and 85 and two you new bodies, it, yeah. and for a degree, I could I could get to work. Where like you know, you've another, and you're having to buy multiples of stuff, and because yeah, two and range, shooters, and, two shooters yeah, and range yeah. of lenses. Yeah, all you've got to try and edit across systems for a while, which has mm. got its own like, teething points. Yeah. it's a lot more of an investment. But. Yeah, I did consider the switch to Canon, and back in the end of the last year, because the R62 came out, and the R62 is a very nice camera, but I just feel like the way they're li they're limiting their lenses now to first party only, aren't they? They're yes. Not, uh, which is just kind of. But Sony did for a long time, didn't they? Though, like those Sigma Arts to come out on the on the on the FE mount yeah. took a long time to come, and I know a lot of people that you know Metabones were probably making really yeah, good coin yeah, at the time yeah. from people that were moving across from Canon to because yeah. that was the, the best adapter that there was. Yeah, when I got the A7S two, the done thing was to put to get the Metabones on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then until Sigma brought their own one out, before they bring bringing out native Sony lenses, they brought out, is it the MC11? Yep. Yeah, so, yeah. So all I was good. like, well, we're not going to just change them out on our lenses. We'll, we'll sell you an adapter first. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like those native arts came a lot, lot later. They did, yeah. You're right, yeah. Well, that's been a, that's a hell it's of a journey. It's been a bumper one, hasn't it? Yeah. But, but oh, I've surprised myself, I think. For someone who would say that they're not particularly techy, I feel like I've dove a little yeah. bit more into kind of the tech when side When you think it. about it, like the forefront of what we do is business and weddings, but like... I mean, I'm really tech anyway, so I'll, I'll admit yeah. I know most things about all these different brands, even if I don't use them sort of thing. But, but like, you don't even think about the decisions you're making every day yeah. in terms of tech for yourself. Like, Yeah, like, thinking, if, like Uncle Bob came up to me at a wedding and was like, oh, I see you're rocking the Sony a 7 and started, yeah. you know, that's got an X-Speed, whatever. Pro I wouldn't know. No, no. Exactly. But I know on the job whether that's faster than that or yeah. that does that job better yeah, than yeah. that. And I think also you're naive to whether you profess to be techie or not. It's your business to know. Yeah. Because... If it fails or you're looking to upgrade, you need to know what you're looking at in order to make an informed decision. I think it comes down to three things in terms of buying new cameras for me. It's quality of life. So has it got stuff like better autofocus or better stabilization that's going to make filming weddings easier? It's quality, like of the image and the yeah. stuff itself. Is other couples going to notice? Because most of the time that's a no recently. Is yeah. like the couple's not going to notice if you switch from A7S3 to A7 IV. It's the same like quality basically, yeah. re relatively anyway. 
um, and fun, really. Like you got to enjoy your job. Like if you don't, if you hate using your camera, yeah. Yeah, you're going to spend a lot of time with that thing in your hands yeah. Like, yeah you need, it needs to kind of yeah be ergonomically nice to hold safe not easy to use yeah. and, and fun to use if you buy a camera go out and buy a camera without stabilisation and you're like hating the fact you've got to use a gimbal all the time what's the point I like, would say though and I saw that this, even though I bought that new Sony the other day though yeah. it still doesn't it's still not as fun to use as my Leica no well that's what but like, that's, that's, that's another a, that's that's that's, thing that Leica and that's another saying. conversation <laughs> again for me to go oh maybe I could go and buy a you know, yeah. switch to Leica I'm definitely not won the lottery I was thinking yet. we get into our personal cameras but that's a whole other story so. it is yeah. buy Leica you've become an advert this, uh, this yeah, we've been working two hours by... I think if we started, if yeah, we started yeah, talking personal sure. cameras and I feel like that for people again that don't profess to be techie that's probably a good place to leave it I think Yeah. Right. and then next time our next episode is marginally more practical again, isn't it? We're going to talk about shooting yeah, bridal prep. Back into weddings, yeah. Shoot about shooting bridal prep, which for video is quite a sure thing for me. There's not a lot that, that, um, of different things we do, I guess. Like we're pretty pretty on a level with bridal prep. I don't know, maybe so. you'll surprise yourself and impart yeah, some maybe, wisdom onto maybe. people that there's things that maybe you do that others don't. So. Yeah, true, true. But be mad to think that's episode 14 that's going to go out next. And it's only the second episode where we've tackled an actual part of the day. Oh yeah, because we intended we, we, to do we, that we, quite we, a lot. We did the evening, didn't we? Back we, early on, yeah. probably episode five or six. We've got so much to talk about though. Like we just yeah. we sort of bounce between, and we like these little episodes which are a bit more fun rather than like in depth about how to improve your business or that lot. Like it's a bit more. And like, also, we're, like, we're, we're hopefully going to play the long game here as well. And I feel like if we'd done literally like prep ceremony, did that, yeah. we'd, we'd be out of episodes we're already now. Gone, and, yeah. and we're kind of enjoying yeah. the journey of just pop, you know, like popping things in as they've come up. Like yeah. again, like my 